what I want to talk about tonight is how we need to pay attention to our souls. Um, I think many times what, we, what happens is this, is we fill our souls with things that are toxic. And when we fill our souls with things that are toxic, they tar- start to infect our soul. It starts to come out in everything that we do. And not only that, when we fill our th- souls with things that are toxic, God, he, he loses space there. He loses time. And so what comes out of us is not God, but what comes out of us is the toxins that are inside of our soul. And so I want to start off with 2 Corinthians uh, 6.14. This kind of talks about this for a moment. It says this, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partners with wickedness? How can light live in the darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be there and God, I will be their God and they will be my people. Here's what's interesting is what it says. He goes, your temple is in you. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a pretty strict church. Um, I grew up like hardcore Southern Baptist, and uh, it was a lot of rules, a ton of rules. Like if you walked anywhere in the church with a hat on, it got snatched uh, by the nearest deacon or whatever it may be. You, uh, there was rules about whether what you could walk into the auditorium with. It literally, uh, you could not walk through the auditorium at any time with shorts on. Um, if you did, you were in trouble. You had to always be wearing pants. The person that went in there to clean the place had to wear pants. Like you always had to be wearing your best. And it was all about rules. And here's what's interesting to me is we, you would have people that their entire attitudes would change. They would stop fighting. They would like just immediately, they'd walk into the auditorium and this amazing uh, spirit would come over them basically in, in their thoughts. And it was because they believed that was holy because they believed that's where God was. Well, what the Bible says is, this is not where God is. God's in, in us. Like when we say, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. It's like the Holy Spirit's already here. He's in us. Like Holy Spirit's not in a building. He's in us. And because of that, when we look at ourselves, we truly need to look at ourselves as a temple. In the same way that we looked at uh, a church or an auditorium as something, a place that was holy, really God looks at us and says, that's where I reside. That's the place that you should be keeping sacred. That's the place that you should pay attention to. And really what I believe is this, is you know how we see really religious people? There's a big difference between people who are religious and those that have a relationship. See, I think really religious people are people that are, that are, that are doing the Christian life, but they have so many toxins built up in their souls that they don't have the ability for God to come out. All it is is rules. It's a whole bunch of people that all they have is toxin inside of them and all they feel like they can do because they can't care and they can't love each other with, with others with all that inside of them. So all they can do is they can pay attention to rules. And so they pass that toxicity to other people. And so what, what the Bible says when you look in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work together. Let's work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Guys, if, if our soul is messed up, so are we. If our soul is toxic, so are we. And so what I want to do is I want to go after a couple toxins, and my guess, um, you're going to identify with a couple of them. And we're kind of just go over them. My, my prayer is this, that you will identify some things in this message and realize these are some things that I need to take on this week. And the first one is everyone's favorite toxin never to talk about, and that's unforgiveness. Like, we don't want to talk about that. You're like, oh, Everyone in here that is not forgiving somebody right now is like, shut up, pal. I don't want to talk about unforgiveness. I enjoy not forgiving them. The problem is unforgiveness leads to what? Leads to bitterness and resentment. It's something that slowly pollutes our soul and controls us. 
Here's what's interesting. I heard somebody say this. This is great. He goes, not forgiving someone and trying to hurt them is like setting yourself on fire and hoping that the smoke will cause them to die. It's the idea that you're setting yourself on fire. You're hurting. You're in pain. You're hoping the smoke will affect them. And we hold on to things, and God's going, that's not going to help your soul. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I love that it says bitterness is like a root, because I think that's the idea. You guys, you guys have been around a small plant. A small plant has small roots. You can easily rip it out. But what happens as it grows, as it grows, the roots become bigger and bigger. It goes across your entire yard when it's a big tree. And it starts to infect everything. It, ca- it starts to infect everything. And so when you're trying to pull it out, it's about impossible. Guys, the longer you allow unforgiveness to stay in your heart, the longer you allow bitterness to stay there, the harder it is to remove it. The harder it is to remove it and the more damage it will cause. Um, there's an old story. I had a, a uncle tell me this story from Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee, so I can make fun of Tennessee. Um, but there, there's a story about it. And, and, a Tennessee guy that walks into a bar and he's got this big bulge on his chest and the guy's like, hey, what's the big bulge on your chest? He goes, it's dynamite. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why is there dynamite there? He goes, well, that guy over there, every time he comes up to me, he slaps me on the chest really hard and he breaks my cigars. So this time I'm going to blow his hand up. It's on his chest. But that's the idea. That's what we do with unforgiveness is we go, I'm going to hurt them. All it's doing is killing our heart. All it's doing is killing our heart. And I hear people say, how? But it's not fair. Guys, as Christians, we should understand this. We don't want to talk about fair. We don't. Because if we don't want to talk about fair, we need to be responsible for our own sins. Right? If we want to talk about fair, we should be responsible for where we go after this. We should be responsible for doing more good than bad. We should be responsible for being perfect. I mean, what's not fair is for Christ to live the life he did, have the sacrifice that he did in such a selfless way, and watch his people decide not to forgive somebody for a fraction of what he's forgiven you for. See, that's not what's fair. See, we're supposed to forgive in the same way Christ forgave us. And actually, there's a verse in the Bible that's one of the verses that I hate the most. It says this, it says, if you don't forgive, God doesn't forgive you. And what happens is if you don't forgive, God doesn't forgive you. That means you live in a constant state of separation from God. It means you live in a constant state without that peace, without that love, without that joy, if we choose unforgiveness. I saw a quote yesterday that was out by MLK, and this is an incredible quote says this, uh, forgiveness is not an occasional act, it's a constant attitude. I think as Christians, this is what we have to see. If we see forgiveness as an act, it's something we can choose to do. If forgiveness is an attitude, it's a life that we live. Guys, we have to forgive all the time. Going throughout a day, we must forgive. And as Christians, if we realize it's an attitude, then we can go throughout this life and forgive others and live the life we're supposed to. But if we see it as an act, we wait till a moment to where it's right. Forgiveness is something that should be our attitude and what we do on a regular basis. So unforgiveness is a big one. This next one is incredibly tough, and it's comparison. Comparison is where we look to someone else to figure out what we should be doing. And, and this hit me this week. I, I don't know if this will hit you. If you're wondering, if you're going, man, I don't compare myself to anybody. I don't have a problem with that. I, I realize this. I think where we get our identity from is actually easy to find. Um, who are you jealous of? If you're jealous of someone because they're better looking than you, you find your identity in your looks. If you're jealous of someone because they have greater intellect than you, then that's where you find your identity. If you're jealous of someone because of who they're with or who they're dating or whatever it may be, that's where you find your identity. It's actually very easy to figure out where it's the wrong way. And the problem is this, is we look so many times to other people to decide who we are instead of to God. 
James 3, 14 to 16 says this. It says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting or lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's like one of those like, oh, and let me just go ahead and say this. It's demonic. Like if you're sitting there, you're going, okay, selfishness um, is a bad thing. Jealousy is a bad thing. You say, that, that's bad things. No, he doesn't say they're just bad things. He says they're demonic. Selfishness and jealousy have roots in demonic activity. There's literally another side that's wanting you to feel that way. Because they know this. If you, if you can start being jealous of someone, they've already changed your thought process. They've already taken you out of who God thinks you are and put it on somebody else. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of all kind. I think some people in here, I don't know who, but need to take fast from social media, need to take fast from the news. I, I've never had someone take a fast from social media and go, I feel worse. You notice that? Nobody does that. Now, they have issues with like going to the bathroom and knowing what to do uh, during that time. They're like, what do I do? I'm like, do, I, do we really need to tell you? Like, you can bring a book. Uh, but that, I mean, no, but no one's ever done a social media fast and been like, man, my heart hurts after this. Everyone's like, man, that was amazing. And then the next day, they're like eight hours on their phone again. But we do. We have to catch ourselves. There's got to be times where we go, wait a second, my jealousy is literally going out the top right now. I need to take this out of my life so that I can focus back on him. And what you do with this is when you have a social media fast or you have a news fast or whatever it may be, those times where you would look to that, you look to the Bible and look up verses where God says who you are. So what you're doing is you're replacing who others say you are with who God says you are to understand that we don't need to compare. See, we we need to know what God is saying about us. Uh, This third thing here is something that I deal with greatly, and that is anger. People are angry right now. Like it, it's it's kind of crazy how angry people are. If you don't believe people are angry, just drive anywhere, anywhere. Just drive. Go a little bit slower than the speed limit. You'll find it. Go on Facebook. Facebook is the king of angry. Like at least Instagram doesn't have all of that. Facebook is just angry old people everywhere. I mean, what was crazy to me is this, and this is what's so sad to me is anger stops conversations. Anger literally causes us to stop conversations and never come out on the other side in a better place. For example, um, the thing that happened with those boys with the MAGA hats and the Indian guy. Uh, the, the, the thing that happened. Here, here's the deal. There was racism there. Absolutely. Absolutely there was racism there. Now, it's on many different sides and all that. Here's the deal. We need to have a conversation about that. Anytime racism pops up, there needs to be a conversation. But because people went nuts basically called for these kids' lives, told their parents, like literally he was getting death threats, they were getting all kinds of stuff. Celebrities were tweeting awful things about this person. And because they so over the top, the discussion's done. And it's one of those things that's very close to my heart, as you guys know, we foster and we purposely foster African-American boys purposefully because they're the least fostered, they're the least likely to be adopted, and we fight that all the time. And if you believe, if you're one of those people that says, oh, racism's dead in America, then walk through Walmart with my wife. The other day, she was called disgusting. A guy just decided to come up and say that to her. And so we need conversations. Here's the problem. When anger enters, the conversation ends. We need to have conversations. And there's two type, types of angry, and some of you think you're better off because you're not the one that spouts anger. You're the person that keeps it inside. 
You're the person that keeps it inside and you have a mental record of everything anybody's ever done you wrong. And you keep it inside and what happens is that bitterness grows and it starts to infect you even worse than those that get it out. James 4, this is an incredible verse for anger. James 4, 1 to 2, it says this is, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Let me just say this. If I were to come up to you and you were angry, I would say, why are you angry? What would you say? It'd be like, oh, my, my boss did this or my friend did this or my family is crazy or this person cut me off or this happened. We would all say somebody else, right? Here's what God says. He says, don't they come from your own evil desires at war within you? See, we would go, oh, it's somebody else. God goes, nope, it's you. Here's why it's you. Every argument I've ever been in, there's one common denominator, me. Every time I've been in an in a all-out battle, there's one common denominator, it's me. I have a problem with anger. He goes on to say, says, you want what you don't have. That is the base of all anger. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. And you're going, well, I haven't killed anybody, but you probably killed them with your words. And this is something that's very close to my heart because this is the problem that I have. I I love the fact that God has given me the gift to be able to speak encouragement to other people. But at the same time, I have been one that can easily kill others with words. I believe God's given me the gift of the sermon, which allows me to see into people's lives. And I will have conversations and someone would come at me with something that was probably true. But through my anger, through my destruction, I destroy them in the process. And the, the conversation stops and they leave hurting and I leave without having to change anything. See, we have that ability. Some of us, that's what we do. We kill others with our words, with our actions, and we hurt them. When they leave our tirade, they are less of a person than when they came into it. It says, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take away from them. You don't have, and here's what's great. This is what he says at the end. He goes, oh, by the way, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it from God. You don't ask God for it. He goes, hey, you could have the things that you want. Instead of getting angry at somebody else, you should be asking God for it in the first place. See, here's the hard part to realize in many of these things. The sick soul is not the person that caught you, cut you off. The sick soul is not your boss or your family member. The sick soul in these situations, if you handle them the wrong way, is you. In fact, that's the only sick soul that you can change. See, this is what's great is we want to change the situation. God wants to change us. We're going, this needs to change. And God goes, why are you so angry? What inside of you right now is causing you to to blare out these horrible things? What's causing you right now to say these horrible things? What's causing you right now to want to wreck someone's life over this small thing? God's like, I want to change you, not the situation. We have to pay attention to our anger. And here's, here's the last toxin, it's worry. I think worry is a big one. Worry tends to elevate into fear, which is even more destructive. Here's what worry is. Worry is assuming a responsibility that God never intended for you to have. Worry tries to change the past and control the future. And when we do that, we infect our present. And here's the question. It's not whether or not you worry. If you're you're sitting there, you're going, oh, I can't stop. It's not whether or not you worry. It's what you do with your worry. It's what, what you do with your worry. Do you hold on to it or you give it to the person and the only person that can take care of it, which is God? It's easy to worry. It's easy to look around in this world and, and be looking at what's happening and go, I need to worry about this. And uh, Jesus literally said something in Matthew six twenty seven. I really think if they had mics back then, he could have dropped it and walked away because this is just, this is incredible. He says this, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It's like, oh, Why you got to do me like that, Jesus? Come on. 
It's like, no, right? But he says, I, I think the key is this. It says, your life. See, I think, I think the problem that we have with worry is we're, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our, what we want is locked up in this life. And Jesus is going, no, 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 I brought you another life. I brought you a better life. I brought you a life that's going to be forever, and you're focusing on the life that's finite. He goes, your, your, your point, like what you should be worrying about, is not about what happens in this life. It's, it's about what our future is, and I've already taken care of that. See, I think the reason we worry so much is because we put all of our stock, all of what we're supposed to do in this life instead of what's happening in the next. So we, we think it's all about this one right here. And what worry does is it tears apart this life so that the next one's even tougher. What, what God says is, he goes, you live this life the right way. I'll take care of it. Yes, hard times are going to come. But the next life is going to be incredible, free of all those things. Because that's the way you deal with worry. You focus on the eternal, not what's right in front of you. Proverbs 4.23 says this. says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of of your life. If your soul is filled with toxic things, your life will be toxic. You have seen people like this. If your soul is filled with God, you will see a love and a care and a peace coming out of it. So how do we, how do we deal with these things? Here's, here's the first thing we can do is have real relationships. Real relationships. People that actually will tell you the truth, people that will actually stop you, and people that will tell you the right thing even when you're angry. You need real relationships. I have people in my life that I call up purposefully, and I ask, I basically, a lot of my conversations start off like this. Um, this may be wrong, but I feel like, or I am ready to, or they said some, this to me, and I go, and I'm going to do this. And most of the time, what they say is, Hal, that's too much. You shouldn't do that. Well, why not? You're a pastor, and you love God. Yeah, but they did, that's Okay. That's okay. We need friends in our lives when we're about to do something dumb, when we're about to say something dumb, when we're about to ruin a relationship, that come in and say, hey, you should not be doing these things. See, the Bible talks about friendships as being incredibly important in the healing process. Uh, we go to God. We actually, you know, we ask for forgiveness of our sins from God, but the healing, it says in the Bible, comes from others. It comes from us confessing our sins to others, not everyone. When we start small groups back in two weeks, it doesn't mean you sit down and go, all right, everything I did over the past couple weeks. That's not what we do. But we do find two people, three people that we can trust, that we can share these things with, and they pray for us. They love us. They care about us. They're rooting for us. They're on our same team to help us through this time. Because if you are surrounded by jaded, negative, toxic people, you will be jaded and negative and toxic. People say, what do I do with those people? You, you put up boundaries. Those should not be the closest people that you are, that you have. We need real relationships. And on top of that, we need a God-defined identity. We need God to define us. Galatians 6, 4, I think this is an incredible verse. It says this, it says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Here's, here's what this means. He goes, hey, um, pay attention to what I gifted you in, pay attention to what I want you to do, and don't worry about anyone else. See, if we actually really sit in with God and go, God has developed me this way. He's given me these skills. He's given me these talents, and this is what he wants me to do. And we're so focused on that and what God's doing there. We can actually see what God's doing in other people's lives. And instead of being jealous, we can celebrate it like we should. See, this, this happens across 
everyone, this happens to me as a pastor. There are pastors that speak. I just go, man, that's incredible. T.D. Jakes will say some stuff and people will go nuts. And then I will come in here and I'll say the same thing. And people are like, why is he pausing? Was it, uh, did I miss another bad joke? Like, what happened? Like, and people won't hear. I remember one time going to a conference. It was a conference with pastors and Louis Giglio, who's an incredible, incredible speaker, came out like 10,000 people in this arena, and he comes out with a stool. He sets the stool in the middle of the stage. He gets on the stool, and not only like Louis Giglio away, like he pulls out his notebook, and he's like, hey, guys, I really didn't prepare anything. I'm just going to let God lead. And then he gives this incredible message. It's like 10,000 pastors, and at the end of it, everyone got saved again. Like it was, it was incredible. So the next week, I go to my youth ministry, and I take out a stool, and I put it in the middle, and I sit down, and I go... I'm dead serious. I go, guys, I haven't prepared anything. I'm just going to let God lead. And I, and I go through this, and, it, and people come up to me afterwards, and they're like, are you okay? Like, can you not walk? Is that why you stood? And like, is, is everything okay? Like, you seem to ramble. It didn't make sense. And then one kid, like, like, had his mom tell on me that I didn't prepare a message. And like, it was just, it was awful. It was awful. And I realized, okay, I'm not Louis Giglio. I'm definitely not T.D. Jakes. And that's Okay. And I should celebrate what they're doing. It's amazing what God's doing in those ministries. And in the same way, that's what we can do when we look at what God wants us to do. See, the next series that we're going to do is all about that. It's all about finding your skills, your talents, what God's put on your heart, your past, your present, what's going on, and literally allowing you to see what God wants you to do with your life and us pushing you that way. It's going to be an incredible series, but when we find God's identity for us instead of what the world says, it frees us from that jealousy and all of those comparisons that allows us to do what God really wants us to do. The, the third thing that we have to do is this, is we have to die daily, and that sounds weird, but we have to die to the things that shouldn't be in our lives. Galatians 2.20 says, it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is not long, no longer who is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this is how we truly create space in our soul. It is every morning, and I do believe there's something better about doing this in the morning. We spend time with God. We say, God, these are the things that I'm putting to death today. God, allow my selfish ambition to not be there. God, allow me to see the people around me that are hurting. Allow me to see the people around me that I need to love and I need to care for. God, allow me to, to take this, this anger and this hatred, and God, please put it away. Allow me to respond in the right way. And we start off every morning, do this. And this is what God does is he starts to change our hearts. He starts to change our soul. And there's something very different that comes out of us. See, what we start to do is this. We start to see God's purpose, not our own. See, this is kind of a crazy thought, but this, this world was never meant to make us happy. This earth was never meant, like the point of it is not to make us happy. And I know that's what we, we go for and we strive for. And it's not like if we go after what God's going for us, we won't have happiness. We will have incredible happiness and incredible joy. But the idea that we're just always supposed to be happy by going after whatever is around us is wrong. God says, go after what I want. It may not make sense. It probably isn't going to sometimes. But I've got something better for you that leads to something much better. He's like, perfection's not possible, but I can change you over time. And then in the end, what we're able to have is an eternal perspective. You know, Maddie talked about it earlier. It's, there's a lot that happened this weekend. Um, I found out about just about all of it in about two minutes on a Sunday morning. I was, I was in here and Pastor Mike and um, Pastor Brian were around me and uh, we're just talking and Pastor Mike says, yeah, um, 
Ron Kelly, uh, who, who we had talked away, had passed away. And Ron was an incredible guy. He was 62. Was probably, I think it was his fifth time with cancer. Uh, his wife is someone that reaches out to women in the strip clubs and helps love on them and care for them and bring them to church. His kids are involved in church. His son just got a full-time job at the church. Like, it's one of those things where he's an incredible man, incredible soul, and you hear that he, he passed away and it just hurt. And then Brian goes, oh, and also Lorelai, um, the two-year-old who had kidney failure, she passed away. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then another human being goes, oh, also, um, a guy you know, Dan Brock, who is, has come here uh, for a while before he had this issue. He had cancer, and we thought it was getting better, but hospice got called in, and so it's at the end, and he's 25. And I'm just sitting there, and while, while I'm hearing this, I'm literally texting Chrissy. I'm like, Ron passed away. I said, Lorelai passed away, and I'm like, Dan's about it. And she's like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is, and I remember sitting there, and I went into Volunteer Central, and Marlon was with me, and he's sitting on the couch, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm just like, what the crap? And he's looking at me like, don't look at me. I'm not the pastor. And, and I'm wondering, I'm like, what, what, is, what is going on? And then, you know, you start to, you start to think about it. You start to understand it. You start to go, man, as much as we love Ron, man, Ron's in a much better place. Uh, as much as Lorelai had in front of her, heaven is still way better. And let me, let me just say this. Um, I know there's a lot of the other side, Catholicism and stuff like that, that believe if a baby's not baptized, they won't go to heaven. That's not biblical. We don't believe that. That would be an unjust God. But she's in heaven now, and people are like, oh, she had an entire life in front of her. But guys, no life would be as good as heaven. You know, Dan's 25, you know? He's not married. He's, he's, he has all these things ahead of him that I know he wanted to do. He serves these kids that have no parents. Like, he does incredible stuff. And this is what's in front of him. And you go, Why? But at the same time, you go, why would I even doubt if what is going on right now is better? Like Everything they have is better. Now, let me just say this. Please don't ever say to somebody, God brought them home too early. God didn't do that. Like I heard somebody say that, and somebody said on Facebook, oh, I hate when God brings people home too early. And somebody says, yeah, why does God do that? I'm like, God didn't do that. The world, there's sin and there's toxins in this world. There's so much hatred and all those things. And because of that, our world is a very imperfect place with a lot of death and a lot of bad things. And what God promises us is not that he's doing everything for a purpose, but he can cause everything to work for a purpose. And on top of it, when we die, what we get to know is we're where we're supposed to be. It's an eternal perspective. It's this idea, you know what? This life, there's going to be times where it's going to absolutely suck. There's going to be times where things are not going to go well. There's going to be times where I'm like, why is God causing this to happen? Why is God still working on my character? I wish he'd stop. And then we realize, wait, this is, just, this is just a time. This is just a time, and it's nothing compared to what God has for us in the future. It's perspective. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 is the one that I think it would be incredible to memorize and just think about this week, and it's this. It says, since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I'll be honest with you guys, this past week I haven't been happy about much of what's going on in this earth. <laughs> much of what's going on in this world, in the United States, all of these things. You look around and you go, so much could be different. But here's what Christ says. He goes, don't focus on those things. Focus on me. Focus on the realities of what it will be in heaven. 
and think about that. Think about the fact that this is not eternity, but have an eternal perspective. As I, I believe if you spent every day this week meditating and thinking about this verse, it would change your entire outlook of everything that's going on wrong in your life right now. And understand what God has prepared for us, not just what's in front of us. Because I, I don't know what you need to do tonight. I don't know which of these toxins is infecting your life right now, but I challenge you, I challenge you not to allow this night to end, not to go to bed before you start to pray it, start to talk it out with God, start to ask him for help in forgiving, whether it be with comparison, whether it's with forgiveness, whatever it may be in your heart, ask God to help you move these. Next morning, literally wake up and say, God, I'm putting to death these things, and I need your help in that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you're a God that loves us this much. You're a God that wants to invade our hearts, invade our souls. God, your plan for our lives is so much better than we think. And God, your, your thoughts are so much higher than ours. God, I pray that we would have an eternal perspective. God, no matter what's going on around us, God, I pray that we would see that you have everything in control. And in the end, we get to spend eternity with you. We know what's going to happen in the end. And as much hurt and pain is on this world, there's not going to be any of it where we spend our eternity. And God, I thank you for that, that we get to see that. That perspective gets to be added to our lives. God, I pray that whatever is infecting our hearts right now, God, I pray that we would deal with it. God, I pray that you would help us understand what we need to do. And God, I pray that we'd feel your peace as we talk to you about it. God, I pray that you'd fill us with your strength as we deal with it. And God, I pray every morning we'd start talking to you. God, I thank you for the power that you're going to give each of us in these areas. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.